You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. But as we move now into our time of studying the Word, uh, we are in the book of Isaiah this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, um, we are looking at um, this passage and we're looking at this idea of the advent of peace. Uh, if this is your first time with us in a few weeks or so, or first time in a while, we um, have just now started last week this Advent series for these four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve when we'll gather alongside Portside Baptist and Cooper River Baptist over at Portside that morning uh, for a wonderful time of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And this, uh, this series, we're, we're looking at these words that you see here displayed across the stage. Pastor Walter started last week with hope, and today we're looking at this advent of peace. And then next week, you guys have the the joy of being able to hear Zach preach about joy, and then we'll conclude with love. And we've just been seeing the way in which God is moving and working in our life, even when we see these words, but maybe we're not necessarily feeling those things at this time. I want you to take a moment and just try to picture a perfectly 100% peaceful world. Try to picture it. There's no conflict or strife. There's, there's no hatred. There's no wars. There's no sickness. There's no evil. There's perfect peace. Nobody is fighting with each other. You could take a child and put them, uh, go to the zoo and not have to worry about having plexiglass up, protecting them from wild animals. They would just sit there and play along with them. It would just be a perfect, beautiful, peaceful world. Now, if we're honest and we're thinking about that, we're trying to picture that in our minds, it's, it's probably a little difficult, isn't it? It's a little difficult to really picture that and think about that because Each and every one of us have experienced things in this life that are not peaceful. We're seeing things in this world today that are not peaceful. There's still conflict happening around the world. There's wars. You know, after World War II, the United Nations was established, and their their goal was to have world peace. And this this is this goal that we're going to pursue and, 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 and attempt to attain, and yet here we are in 2023, and... We still have so much conflict, so many wars, so many things that are going against each other, nations rising against nations. Let's take it to a personal level for a minute. We wrestle with things in our own lives that although we may want peace and we want to pursue peace, the things that we pursue that peace with are things of the flesh a lot of the times. Our sin gets in the way. The sins of others gets in the way and it takes what we pursue as maybe even a momentary piece of peace. And you might have that joy for a moment of that peace. And then it's fleeting and there you are left with no peace again. See, there's this beautiful truth that we can find in the apparent lack of peace And it's this time of year that 
We're hopeful to find it. Pastor Walter, in his introduction last week, he mentioned this magical sense of the season. Christmas is my favorite time of year. It's the the time that I just love. The weather's finally starting to cool off here in Charleston, except for today, obviously. And things are just nice, and it's this magical sense of things, and you long and desire for peace. Almost every year, my mom will ask me, what do you want for Christmas this year? And my only reply to her is world peace. And she goes, I can't give you that. Like, what do you want? But, you know, it's a joking thing that I, I like to say, but I mean, it's true. Like, I long for there to be peace. The reality is that the only peace that we can truly find and have can be found in and through Jesus Christ. In the book of Isaiah, as we're looking at it today, we get to this point where chapter 8 has passed and there's this coming invasion of the Assyrians from chapter 8 and Although God's people still sinned, although the Assyrian army would come about, God would not allow his people to ultimately be taken down. Matter of fact, in verse 8 of chapter 8, before we get to today's passage, it says, O Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. Chapter 8 would conclude with God through the prophet Isaiah informing the people, fear God and wait on him. This whole season of Advent. It's waiting. This leads us to Isaiah 9, as I said, which informs the people of a child being born. The famous passage that is quoted and read and preached from at Christmas time. This child that will be born, he will be the one. He is the one who fulfills the prophecies. He is the one who comes and establishes his eternal kingdom. This child, as we know, is Jesus. This writing we're looking at today, it's some uh, 100 years before the Babylonians come in. It's some 600 years before Jesus actually is born. And yet Isaiah is picturing this plan of what is to come for this redemptive plan of God to be laid out through this infant babe. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. The bottom line for us today is this. When you can't find peace in this life, turn to Christ who supplies in the strife. When you can't find peace in this life, turn to Christ who supplies in the strife. Our first point for us today is this, peace in Jesus's arrival. Peace in Jesus's arrival. Verse one reads, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he had made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations. As I said a moment ago, we see Isaiah is continuing from chapter 8 here. He's giving us this scene, this description. It's this gloomy description. This whole thing about the Assyrians coming in is this gloomy picture. There was much corruption that was taking place among the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and outward to the Gentiles. The people were trusting in the wisdom of mediums and wickedness over the wisdom of God. It was a mess. It was a total mess. And of this gloom, Isaiah says that there will be no more gloom to come. This will happen through the Redeemer. This will happen through Jesus Christ, the one that he describes as the baby that will be born. 
these areas mentioned here in verse one, they're particularly devastated when the Assyrians come in. And yet when Jesus is there alive, as we read later on in the gospels, and he's ministering, he's ministering heavily in those areas. Jesus was specifically identified in the ending of verse one, Galilee of the nations. We know that from reading in the gospels. Now we get to verse two and it's this famous passage, right? And we're talking about Jesus's arrival and how there's peace in that. He says there in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. See, Isaiah's writing here, and it appears as if it's in the past tense. He's writing these things as if it sounds like it's that way, and we, we have to remember that he's prophesying. He's painting the picture about a day that will come. Now, here's something that's interesting to pick up on about that. This passage we're looking at today in Isaiah 9 is heavenly referenced, as I said, at Christmas because of the birth of Jesus, but it can go further because Isaiah is pointing to the future past Jesus's earthly ministry, his death and his resurrection. He's pointing to this eternal kingdom and this reign that is to come of this Messiah. Although he doesn't specifically identify the one whom he's speaking of, he's pointing to the hope, the theme that we had from last week of what is to come for the future. And he takes this picture and he says, those who walk in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who walk in darkness, those who are the enemies of God, those who are you and I before we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we walked in darkness. He says there that those who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Jesus Christ, the light has shone. And Jesus has come and he's bringing peace to all who would repent and believe. So in the arrival of King Jesus coming, there is peace. There is peace. There's also peace in Jesus' victory. Number two. Verse three reads, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, I told you a few minutes ago that Isaiah is pointing to this eternal reign of Jesus. And we see here that there will be a multiplying of nations and this increasing joy that will come from that. See, God would not just protect a small remnant of his people. No, 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 no. God would enlarge the nation. Instead of experiencing sorrow, the people will rejoice because of the one who has come that is bringing peace. And he says there that they will rejoice as those who have joy at the harvest. When a great harvest comes, there is a, a mighty amount of rejoicing that takes place. For a farmer, they, they're out there and they, they've done all the work. They're, they're now reaping what they've sown and they, they sow this big amount coming in from the harvest. They rejoice in that. He 
he's painting this picture here that because of this one that has come, because of this one Jesus who has arrived, and because of his victory that is coming, the same type of joy comes as they are glad as they divide the spoil. So much joy in that picture there. Think about that. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you remember what your life like what your life was like before Jesus redeemed you. Do you not? We remember what it was like. Remember that it was darkness. We remember that there were times, like I said in the introduction, that man, we would go to any and everything to bring us peace. We would seek out those momentary pleasures because there was a void in us. We desperately needed the fulfillment to come in and to help us. Our hearts were blackened. It was dark. We were walking in darkness. We were lost. But then God intervened. Jesus redeemed us by his precious blood. And then we brought about rejoicing for us. He continues with this picture of the victory of Jesus and the peace that comes from that. Verse 4 and 5 together. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You see, it's in these two verses that Isaiah is pointing back to the book of Judges. I don't have time to read to you Judges 6 and 7 today, but I want, to make, I want you to make a note in your Bible or in your notes to say, hey, I'm going to go back to understand the context of what he's talking about here. Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. It's this victory where God uses Gideon to go and defeat Midian. It's this beautiful picture of what happens here, of how God continues to fight and do things for his people to bring the ultimate victory. Very quickly, God has caused the terror of the Lord to come on them when the light from Gideon's small army rips through the darkness. The evil forces of Midian there, they end up turning on themselves and they lose. They're devastated. They destroy themselves. It says there in these verses that we just read that this yoke, this staff, this rod that's mentioned in verse 4, they were instruments that were used to dominate people and to force them to work. Now this could also be used even as a metaphor to show the oppression that was being used on the people. But when the Lord caused this to happen to Midian, the yoke was broken, as it says there again in verse 4. You have broken as on the day of Midian. Continuing there in 5, he tells us that the garments and the boots were used in the fire, signifying the end of the enemy there. But don't miss this. Just in the same way as Isaiah is pointing to Midian and what happens in Judges 6 and 7 and that conquering, that yoke being broken, this child that will come, this Jesus, this Redeemer, the Messiah, He comes and He breaks the yoke of sin. 
The weight of sin that is constantly on us, that we are locked down by, that we are oppressed by because we were born into it because of the sins of the world that were established back in Genesis 3 when the fall of man happened. Every single one of us come out of our mother's womb and we are sinners. We need redemption. We have that yoke that is on us. But because of Jesus' arrival and because of Jesus' victory over sin and death, his defeat of it and his resurrection from the grave, there is an ultimate yoke of sin that has been broken. And it's through his precious blood that's poured out for us. It is through his finished Work. It's through his death on the cross of Calvary where he stood in the place of mankind's sins. You know, I always love the picture of the cross in a sense. What was used as such a torturing device where Jesus had already been beaten, mocked, whipped within an inch of his life is nailed to that cross And he's barely holding on there and he's clinging to that cross, constantly moving, the pain that is rushing through him. But I always have that picture in my mind as we think of him hanging there on that cross. Like you say sometimes with your children, I love you this much. The Lord loved us this much and so much more to willingly go through every bit of the stuff that he went through to suffer and take God's wrath so that we could have the victory, so that we could have peace, so that yoke of sin could be broken. You see, it's in this victory of Jesus that we can experience ultimate peace for our souls. So not only is it peace and the arrival of Jesus. It's peace in Jesus' victory, but then it's also, number three, peace in Jesus' eternal reign. Excuse me. Let's look at verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we continue in this, we see that the one who will establish all of this from verses 1 through 5 is this child described in verse 6. Excuse me. See, because this verse points not only to the face that is coming, this child, but it would be this child that's a man that is also God. The God-man, King Jesus. It says, therefore, to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. See, this human child being born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, this child is being born... But at the same time, God is giving us his son. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. This son, who as John in his prologue in John chapter 1 establishes, was there in the beginning with God. He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. This child is being born into earth. 
However, he is being given by God because he is God in the flesh. It says there that the government shall be upon his shoulder. God promised King David. As we read through the Old Testament, he promised King David that one day a descendant from his line would come and his kingdom would be established forever. We know that that is Jesus. Because as you read through Matthew chapter 1, you see that genealogy that points to it. You get to David, you keep going, you keep going, you get to Jesus. He says that the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus' shoulders will bear the weight for his people. He will not buckle or fail. He will reign forever. And he will reign justly forever. Remember in the Great Commission before Jesus ascends to heaven. He's there with his followers and he's about to go and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. <clears throat> he's making it clear. I'm God's son. I am Jesus. I am the son of man. I am the one who has come, who has paid the price. I have resurrected from the grave. All authority has been given to me. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And then we get these descriptions of Jesus. Wonderful counselor. It comes from these wondrous signs and this wisdom that he has. Jesus comes and he does these incredible signs and wonders and He's so wise in his teachings and he's constantly just leaving people in awe throughout his gospel ministry as we read. There's no greater counselor than that of our Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. He then says that he is the mighty God. See, Jesus here is referenced as God, even as a child. That said, he is God's son born into the world, again pointing to his deity. He is divine, he's God, and he's a warrior, mighty. The word God in Hebrew is translated exactly as it should be for that of Yahweh, the holy God. And our King Jesus is the mighty warrior who, as we read in Revelation 19, will return with a sword from his mouth coming to defeat Satan forever. He says there that he's the everlasting father. You know, some of your translations, they may say eternal father. But Jesus would play as this fatherly type figure in a sense to those that are with him in his earthly ministry, much like a, a king would kind of do. But this is not to confuse him with God's fatherly role. The great theologian Warren Wiersbe, he describes this section as Jesus being the father of eternity. If you want anything eternal and you have eternity with God, the only way to that is through who? Jesus. 
And then much with our passage for today, he's the Prince of Peace. He's the one who brings peace between man and God. See, there's our ultimate problem. There's so much strife and lack of peace in this world today, but the biggest need that is out there is the fact that there is no peace between man and God if Jesus hasn't redeemed. There are many in political power, many of kings and everything across the globe over time. And they may have their rule and their reign and do all that they do, but they're not God. They don't have peace with God if Jesus hasn't redeemed them. See, man's biggest problem is they need redemption for their sin. They need to have peace with God. This Prince of Peace, he's the one who can bring peace to the weary soul. He does that, as Paul talks about in Romans 5.1, he, he does that for those that are justified through faith. It's through faith in Jesus that this eternal peace happens. See, because it's peace from God through faith in Jesus. And we also receive the peace of God. See, Jesus, we, we have this beautiful description of Him in Philippians, for example, Philippians 4 and We've quoted it before. You, you probably remember the verse if you've done any kind of studying through the book of Philippians. But it says there, are you anxious about anything? And it talks about with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, making your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus if our ultimate void of having no peace with God because we're not redeemed is taken care of when we are redeemed by Jesus, then as we are justified, as we are saved, and we're going through the course of our life, we do encounter those moments where there's not peace. Where we do feel like, man, the struggle is real. I got too much conflict in my life. I got too many issues going on. I wish I could have peace. I'm so anxious right now that I don't know what to do next. Man, I am so scared of what is coming. I am so scared about what is happening right now. Yet God has told us very clearly. And you can maybe immediately come back and say, you know how hard that is, Brian? I get it. But in these moments, God makes it clear to us in that anxiety, in that fear, in that doubt, in that lack of peace to come to Him, to give it to Him, to lay it at His feet. Why? Because He is the Prince of Peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it comes, it guards your heart, it guards your mind in Christ Jesus. It surpasses all earthly understanding. It leaves us and maybe many others saying, how can that be knowing what you're going through? 
which opens to an incredible gospel opportunity for you to say, well, it's because of the Prince of Peace. It's because of my King Jesus. It's because of the peace that he's given to me. Let me share it with you. Lastly, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Again, he points to the throne of David, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Stop. Peace in the eternal reign of Jesus. This is the picture of the eternal reign. This is the picture of what we see play out through the book of Revelation. It's an incredible promise for us of what is to come. It's that thing that we hope for, that we long for, that we trust God for. And that last line of verse 7, how can all of this be? How can this happen, Brian? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is done only by God. There's no other way that it can be done. There's no other way that it will be done. It is done by God. And it is with this revelation of Jesus, of who he is, that we truly find peace. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, he provides peace to all who repent and believe because of his finished work on the cross. <clears throat> See, it's repentance of sin. It's confession of Jesus Christ as Lord that will bring eternal peace for every soul. And as I've already established, even in the daily moments where you need to find peace, He's the source. So I'll end with this question. Right now, can you say that you do have peace? I'm not talking about just a momentary thing right now, though. I'm talking about it from an eternal perspective. I look across this room knowing you and, and I believe that everyone within the sound of my voice more than likely has a profession of faith. They know Jesus. But even those that are listening online, do you truly have eternal peace? Has God redeemed your soul? Do you have that gift of salvation? If your answer is yes to that, my question is, in the moments where you feel like there is no peace, in the moments where you feel like, man, this is difficult, this is hard, are you taking those moments to the Prince of Peace? Are you laying out Philippians 4 before him? And asking him to help you, to give you that peace. Maybe for some 
anybody here or listening online and they say, yeah, you know what? I don't have peace. I don't feel like I've ever ex- experienced true peace. Well, I want to encourage you to reach out. If you're here today and you need prayer or you say, hey, I need to talk about something you said, we're available to you. If you're here and you're saying, I got questions about some things, about some issues I'm wrestling with, come and talk. If you're listening online, you say, you know what? I don't have eternal peace. I want to encourage you to reach out. Again, the bottom line for us today, when you can't find peace in this life, turn to Christ who supplies in strife. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful, Lord, that although I was your enemy because of my sin, you sent this child, my King Jesus, to come to live, to be sinless, to proclaim the glory of your name, to ultimately go and suffer and die for me. I'm so humbled, Lord, by your love. your grace and mercy that you show and Lord I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice right now Lord if they're wrestling Lord and saying there's don't have peace I have constant conflict I have constant anxiety I have constant fear I have constant worry but that they would return to you and that they would experience your peace that surpasses all understanding. That they would come to you and say, God, I desperately need you to give me peace. That they would come and say, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Would you help me? But above all things, I pray that in this moment, Like Nate said a few minutes ago, Lord, that you would increase, that we would decrease. God, that you'd be glorified and you'd have your way in us now. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.